Welcome to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. If you want to create change in any area of your life, you're in the right place. Together, we'll explore the strategies and tools I've used to lose over 100 pounds, pay off $130,000 in debt, and become a multiple seven-figure business owner. I've supported thousands of women to levels of execution and fulfillment they didn't know were possible. So if you're frustrated, if you're doubting yourself, if you're not enjoying the journey, there's a better way. Together, we'll break through your past patterns, we'll eliminate the appeal of your excuses so you can get consistent, stay consistent, create the results you want, and most importantly, enjoy the journey. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton. Thanks so much for joining me today. Yes, I am going to address my thoughts on Ozempic, Govi, semiglutide, same, 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 synonyms. Synonyms, essentially. Um, comes up a lot in the Primal Potential Facebook group. I'm going to talk about what they are. You might be listening going, ah, I've never heard of that. That's okay. A lot of people haven't, but it is kind of a hot topic. And uh, we'll talk about my thoughts. Before we get into that, I want to remind you that I have launched a totally free live training series. My goal is to do about one of these free trainings per month. We started just last week. We actually did two in our first week. The first one was getting back on track. The second one was about using a continuous glucose monitor for fat loss, for energy, for anti-aging, and also how you can use the lessons and strategies for weight loss and anti-aging and energy without a continuous glucose monitor. So those are the ones we did just last week. Coming up, carbs and fat loss, tons of questions, tons of misinformation. A lot of that misinformation is leading people to decisions like, injecting themselves with drugs intended for another condition so that they can lose weight. Um, so I'll put the link to sign up for these free trainings in the show description. So you can grab it there, but you can also go to primalpotential.com forward slash free dash trainings. Let me make sure I'm getting that URL right. Primalpotential.com forward slash free dash trainings. Yes, free dash trainings, plural. And I will, again, link that up in the show description. You can also find that link in my Instagram bio. You can find that link in the Primal Potential Facebook group and all over the place. You can message me if you can't find it for some reason in the show description, primalpotential.com forward slash free dash trainings. And uh, that'll get you registered and notified for all of the ones that we have coming up. And if there's a topic you want to hear about, let me know. What I'm giving away today is a supplement that came out not too long ago, all natural, and it supports fat loss. It supports healing the gut, which also supports fat loss. And I like it because the ingredients are long studied, long substantiated, and that makes me feel a lot more comfortable than things that have all of these risks and side effects and maybe aren't so long substantiated. So I will announce the winner at the end of the show. It's called GBX Burn. I'll also link it up in the show description. 
And you can be eligible to win just by leaving a review of this podcast. Before we get into Wagovia, Zempic, all that stuff, I wanted to start with a question that came in through the Primal Potential Facebook group. And it says this, it has come to my attention recently that self-reflection, self-awareness, and insight into what I want in many areas of my life is lacking. I know that asking questions is a great place to start, but I often find that my answer is, I don't know, or some variation of that theme. Does anyone have any suggestions on how to dig deeper and be specific? I always say that I don't know is where we start, not where we stop. But then that begs the question, how? Where do I go if I don't know? What am I supposed to do next? What is my next step? So what she's saying is she doesn't really have a ton of insight into what she wants in many areas. But when she asks herself questions, she comes up with, I don't know, not sure, don't really know yet. And I've talked about this before, how when I was at my heaviest, working in a job that I was good at, but I didn't love. There were parts of it that I really liked and I liked feeling valuable, but it wasn't a healthy environment for me. I wasn't happy in that role, though there were parts of it that, you know, felt satisfying in some ways. And my mom would say to me, what brings you joy? And I would either respond, nothing, or I don't know, because I was in a dark place. A lot of times that's where folks start. Like, what do I want for my career? If I could do anything, what would I do differently? I don't know. Well, this is where we start brainstorming and throwing out ideas. I tell my clients all the time that our modern model of schooling has, in my opinion, hindered our ability to be creative and solve problems. And solving problems often requires creativity because We have this notion of right answers and wrong answers, and if we aren't sure that an answer or a response is right, then we hold it back. And this holds us back in our own lives and problem solving because we have some ideas and we have some thoughts, but we're not sure they're right, therefore it can't be the answer. And that is false. So what we have to do is practice brainstorming outside of the boundaries of right and wrong. I do this a lot in my own life when it comes to my business and my family life. If I could create anything I want for Primal Potential, what would I want? It is super normal to think, I don't know. I'm not sure. And the reason I say that's where we start and not where we stop is because the next step is to say, well, what ideas do I have? I've shared before that I like to play, and I got this from Chris Harder, stupid idea time. Okay, well, let's just brainstorm a bunch of dumb ideas. And there might be some seeds of truth that come from that. Either it's really clear I don't want to do this, or there might be something to that. It's not quite like that, but that might be kind of moving in the right direction. So what are some bad ideas? What are some stupid ideas? What are some crazy ideas? What are some unrealistic ideas? Flex that creativity muscle. You must. If you are feeling stuck by, I don't know... What that means is I'm not really good at brainstorming. I've lost touch with my ability to be creative, so I have to build that back up. It is a skill that we can build. 
And you can also use other people in this. Hey, if you were starting from scratch in your career, or if you were designing a family life that you want, or if you were trying to figure out what you want your life to look like in one year or five years or 10 years, what ideas would you have? And it might be that in something somebody else shares, you go, oh, I like that. That's good. This is why we can't just suffer silently and struggle silently. We have to connect with other people and we have to be willing to ask questions of other people and we have to be willing to push beyond that notion that often comes up first of, I don't know. All right. If we must, let's chat about Ozempic and Wagovi. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, honestly, that's probably for the better. <laughs> I'll explain it. We'll, we'll talk about it for those that aren't familiar, but I have been asked about this almost every day for weeks, if not longer. I've had a lot of conversations in my DMs. And I first want to say it is not my intention to start chiming in on every prescription medication that is used for, marketed for weight loss. I don't want to do that. But Ozempic and Wagovi kind of came onto the scene with just a lot of attention in large part because of their use in Hollywood. Um, And yeah, I guess I just want to put a couple of big picture perspectives out there first. If you think that these prescription drugs are right for you and you have done your homework and your due diligence, then honest to goodness, it doesn't matter what I think. I was talking to my husband about this the other day um, because somebody messaged me a few weeks ago asking my thoughts and I shared my thoughts and, and the reason behind my thoughts and this person was using one of these drugs and they were very defensive and very upset that I don't think that they're um, a good option. And I was kind of puzzled by that because I was like, why do you need my approval? Why, why does it matter? You know, if you decided that a vacation to some war-torn country was a great idea for your family and I think it's not a great idea why why do you care what I think? If I was saying to my husband, he his hair is thinning and it drives him crazy. He doesn't love that. And I said, you know, if you decided to take some prescription medication for your thinning hair and some podcaster that you listen to said that, you know, they think it's a bad idea, would you get defensive about that? Like maybe they say something that you didn't know and therefore it's valuable. But if you knew everything and you still decided it was a good idea for you, then why... Why would you be upset? This is this goes so far beyond the specific topic we're we're diving into today. And it really is as much as I hate to kind of paint it this way, it is what it is. It's a societal issue when people expect others to co-sign their opinions or their choices and if somebody doesn't co-sign their beliefs or their behaviors, you know, it, it's an argument. Well, I have zero intention and I'm unwilling to argue with anybody about this. If you are using these drugs or you think they're the best thing in the world, cool. I don't share your opinion and I think that that is fine. Um, 
I I know that this will open the door to people saying like, well, what about this drug and what about that drug? And at this point, my sense is I don't want to get in the pattern, in the habit of just being like, okay, you know, let's devote an episode to, it's just not where I want my energy to go, right? My interest is not in prescription drugs for weight loss. It's just not. So I, you know, I'm going to put this out here and then I, I want to let it be and I don't want to continue to evaluate this new version and that new version and this one works slightly differently. So what do you think about that? At the end of the day, we all have to do our own homework and then make decisions for us. And the great thing about the internet is that it is, the information is very accessible. One thing that I will say is that drug companies are not trying to get people well and then send them on their way. They are looking for customers and they are looking for lifelong customers. And when drugs were developed for type 2 diabetes and they were like, hey, look, this weight loss seems to be a side effect of these drugs. Hey, I bet we could market this for weight loss and make a killing. They were right. That <laughs> that's the goal. The goal is money. The goal is not your health and wellness. And if you disagree on that, I think that's fine. But that's just commerce. That's business. The goal is money. Um, so yeah, I feel like those are sort of the caveats. The other thing that I'll say before we go into what they are and how they work, I was listening to somebody that I respect very much, somebody very well educated, sharing that she was taking one of these drugs, Ozempic or Wagovi, um, same, same, just the difference is branding and um, dosing. And she was saying, you know, there's a lot of research showing that this will help with longevity. And my thought there is what helps with longevity is blood sugar balance. And yes, these drugs can help with blood sugar balance, but you can also achieve blood sugar balance, right? We're not talking about diabetics here. We're talking about these drugs used for individuals looking to lose weight who do not have diabetes. There are so many other ways without prescription meds and without the implications of these prescription meds and the risks of these prescription meds to achieve blood sugar balance. So if somebody says, well, actually, you know, you didn't mention, Elizabeth, that they, they could have uh, the ability to prolong your life. Well, I mean, just because something can deliver an effect, it doesn't mean that it's the best way to deliver that effect because there are trade-offs. And when we start injecting drugs and impacting hormones and impacting the function of the pancreas and the workload of the pancreas, why not get that effect without the downsides, without the risks, without the unknown? But we're going to talk about that. I guess the biggest thing I just want to say is, if you disagree with me, that's cool. That's cool. And if it upsets you that I have a different opinion, I would just challenge you to look at why. Because everybody is entitled to their own opinion. And um, I, I would just ask you to have the inquiry, why do I need anybody to co-sign my beliefs or my behaviors? Why? All right. Let's talk about it. There has been a trend fairly recently of individuals who are overweight or who desire weight loss using injectable drugs 
designed for people with type 2 diabetes to facilitate their own weight loss. So these are people who don't have type 2 diabetes but are using these prescription medications because one of the side effects is weight loss and people are losing weight. So the question is like, what do you think of this? Is this healthy? Is this safe? What, what are the thoughts behind this? So the drugs that we are talking about are essentially, they're, they're known as GLP-1 agonists. And GLP refers to glucagon-like peptide. GLP is a hormone, okay? So these drugs are GLP agonists, friends of. They, they build up, they support each other as opposed to antagonists, which sort of like block or minimize or reduce or, you know, get in the way of. When we talk about Ozempic or Wegovy, the difference there is dosing and branding, okay? They're semi-glutides. So when we look at the different names, the difference is the dose that they're providing and the branding. These drugs are not super new, as in we're hearing about them for weight loss in the last year, 18 months maybe, a couple years, if you're like really hot on the on the trends, but they've become more mainstream in the last year. And so Wagovi was born for branding weight loss, whereas Ozempic was a drug specifically for type 2 diabetes. It's the same drug. You just adjust the dosage and the branding and they're like, oh hey, people are losing weight and people want this. So like let's let's make more money in this way. These drugs were designed for type 2 diabetes. And let's get on the same page about like what's going on with type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is essentially a disease of insulin resistance. It's a disease of carbohydrate metabolism, all right? When we, we don't want our blood sugar to be too high. It becomes toxic. And that toxic nature, if it stays too high, it, it really does a lot of damage to our vascular system. And that's why we see people who have uncontrolled either type 1 or type 2 diabetes having issues with their hands or their feet, blood flow, amputations when there are complications. It's a, it's a disease of insulin in type 2 diabetes, it's about insulin responsiveness. Uh, in type 1 diabetes, it's, of course, about insulin production, and you have to use exogenous insulin uh, in order to clear sugar from your blood. Because when we, let's say we have um, a Rice Krispie treat, okay, that is sugar. You have the Rice Krispie treat. As it breaks down, after you chew and swallow and it works its way through your gut, your blood sugar rises, in order for blood sugar to be removed from the bloodstream and stored properly or burned as fuel, it needs insulin to take it out of the blood to wherever it needs to go, all right? So if you don't have insulin, as in the case of type 1 diabetics, you inject insulin and it can then usher the sugar out of the blood to wherever it needs to go. In the case of type 2 diabetes, your body is just not responding to insulin. It's resistant. It's kind of like, this isn't a perfect analogy, but it's kind of like if you are listening to music and you slowly increase it, the volume and increase the volume and increase the volume and increase the volume, you become like desensitized to the noise. And that's a lot of times what happens with insulin. 
So your body is producing insulin, but not responding to it. It's, it's lost its sensitivity to it. Your body is resistant to the action of insulin. And so what these drugs, these semaglutides, the Wigovi, the Ozempics out there, they increase insulin production. So it's kind of like, okay, we're going to get louder so that you hear us now, right? Now, hopefully, as I'm explaining this, you see potentially the problem. It's got that, that strategy of stimulating insulin production. And these drugs can also inhibit glucagon, but, but their primary mechanism is that they affect insulin. The problem is that that game only lasts so long. Mean your pancreas is what secretes the insulin, right? So when we stimulate insulin production, the pancreas is getting taxed. The pancreas is working overtime until what? It just burns out. And then you need exogenous insulin because you've just overburdened your body by producing more insulin, producing more insulin, producing more insulin. That has a shelf life. Sorry, that was my glucose monitor. Uh, I need to... Uh, I need to calibrate it because I know my blood sugar is not super low right now, um, which we talked about on the training the other day. I'm not a diabetic. I'm just uh, experimenting with a continuous glucose monitor, and that's one of the annoying things about it. Um, okay, so the, the it's a short-term game because you're just wearing out your pancreas. And you need your pancreas, right? <laughs> Unless you want to be on this pathway to being a type 1 diabetic, which happens to a lot of type 2 diabetics over time. If they're not managing it well, if they're not really optimizing their diet, they just burn out their pancreas and now they are insulin dependent or type 1 and they need exogenous or I guess there's technically insulin dependent type 2, but you need to supplement with exogenous insulin. So you've got to give yourself insulin injections. It's kind of a problem. You know, it's, and, and the thing is that gets me sort of like, come on guys, let's just use our brains. Like, even if you don't have a background in this stuff, like, let's just, let's think, do your homework. Don't just chase the next shiny object because hopefully as adults, we know that that tends to bite you in the butt. We don't have long-term data on this being used for weight loss. This is new. So, so these people who are standing in line saying like, oh, weight loss with an injection, it reduces my appetite. Cool. Why would you sign up to do something that we do not know the long-term implications of? Now, I have a caveat to that. If I had a terminal illness and I had exhausted all of the options and there was something new, sign me up. Because at that point, it's my last option, right? And it's life or death, but that's not what we're talking about here. So the pathway is super concerning around the notion of insulin. But that's not all. That's not all. When we look at type 2 diabetes, let me, let me break this down. I've done a lot of uh, episodes on carbohydrate metabolism and stuff that sort of paint a really great backdrop for this discussion. But let's sort of do the spark notes version here. A big factor in carbohydrate metabolism in type 2 diabetes in obesity or carrying extra weight is your muscle. And the reason for that is muscle is one of the major storage places for excess glucose, all right? The more muscle that you have, the more glucose you can store there that doesn't get converted to fat. When you have less muscle, the glucose that you eat 
is more likely to be converted to and stored as fat because there isn't as much muscle tissue for the glucose reserves in your lean tissue that does not get, it's not, it's not stored as fat there. It stores glucose there. So when we look at these drugs, we have to really consider the muscle, which leads to one of my other significant concerns here. Yes, people do lose weight, non-diabetics, when they take these drugs. But what we're seeing is that that weight loss is about 40 up to 50% muscle. People are all excited. The scale's going down. If you told me, hey, do this and you'll lose 20 pounds, but up to half of it is going to be muscle, I would be like, nope, not interested. Hell no, not a chance for a number of reasons. The less muscle that you have, the more wiggly and jiggly you are, right? We, we all either have experienced in our own lives or have observed in other people, like they might weigh a lot less, but if they don't have muscle, then they're just like saggy and jiggly and might even wear a larger size clothing than, than before that weight loss because of the impact of muscle. The other piece of it is muscle is more metabolically active. So if you lose muscle and up to 40 to 50% of the weight being lost by these folks is muscle, when you have less muscle, you have a lower metabolic rate, which means you now need less food to maintain your weight. So if you were to eat the same amount, you would be gaining weight as, as compared to before you lost this, okay? Whatever you were able to eat and maintain, you now would eat that amount and gain because muscle is more metabolically active, less muscle, less calorie needs. That's a big problem. The other piece of it is carbohydrates specifically are now more likely to be converted to and stored as fat because you've just taken away part of one of the major storage availability options for glucose. That's a problem. Not only that, muscle is a big part of the longevity game. People who have more muscle live longer. They live longer because it's like they're it's their physical insurance. It's their physical insurance because if they were to get sick, they have a bigger reserve, but also they are stronger, more capable, able to withstand falls, things like that. We need muscle as we age. Less muscle is a problem. Not to mention all of the factors around metabolism that that creates. And the, the Peter Atia, if you're not familiar with Dr. Peter, Peter Atia, I think he's just a really brilliant medical mind in the health sphere, great voice of just logic. And what he says about this is, you know, what we're seeing is, yes, we are seeing weight go down, but we're seeing body fat percentage skyrocket. The number on the scale is going down, but your fat to muscle percentage is skyrocketing as you use these drugs, that indicates poor metabolic health. On top of everything else we said, think about it this way. You're 200 pounds and you're 20% body fat and you get on one of these drugs and you lose 20 pounds. 10 pounds of it is fat, 10 pounds of it is muscle. Okay, your weight is lower, but your body fat percentage is now higher. 
That is bad. That is not just bad cosmetically, if you think of it that way, although there's people that might argue that it's not bad cosmetically, just just one woman's opinion. Metabolically, that's bad. That's bad. So there's those things. But the biggest thing to me is we don't know the long-term data. I don't understand why people do things like this. Just taking a flyer on their health. Uh, Why? There's another way. The name of this game is controlling blood sugar. That's what it's doing. By increasing insulin production, it's controlling blood sugar. Sure, they decrease your appetite. But what's really interesting about that is we don't know how or why. We don't know the mechanisms. I talked about how GLP is a hormone, right? So these are these are manipulating your hormones, and we don't really know the mechanism going on. We haven't, there's not enough information to tell us, well, why? Well, why is appetite going down? We don't know. It just is. Well, there's a reason. It's doing something. We just don't know what that something is. You're just hoping that it's a positive something? Well, we've got a lot of evidence to suggest it's not a positive something because it's not just burning through your body fat. We're looking at approximately equal percentages of fat and muscle lost, and losing muscle is bad. That's real bad for your health. It's real bad for your metabolism. It's real bad for your longevity. It's real bad for your energy. So... I'm going to let you draw your own conclusions there. Everybody's super attracted by this notion of like, we can do something easy for weight loss. At some point, most people realize that if it sounds too good to be true, it is. Unfortunately, I don't think that that's one of the things that you can just hear from somebody else and just get it. A lot of times we have to get burned to learn it. I personally don't want to get burned when it comes to my health, right? I've made stupid financial investments and I've learned hard lessons that way. But, you know, only money was on the line. It's a different story when your health is on the line. There's no shortcut. There's no shortcut. Rebound weight gain will be insane, We already talked about the potential long-term, like, okay, stimulate insulin production. Fantastic. You think your pancreas just has an unlimited ability to produce insulin for the rest of your life? No. So if you're thinking, well, yeah, it might be a problem with rebound weight gain if I get off, so I'll just never get off. Oh, your pancreas probably doesn't support that decision. And then you're creating an additional problem if your pancreas just says, I've done my insulin production work, so now you're going to have to get exogenous insulin. And now you've just created a real problem for yourself. Not to mention, you have a real problem for yourself that your body is less able to handle because you have less muscle, which means you have a lower capacity than when you started to metabolize glucose and, and handle it correctly and store it appropriately So you went for a solution and you created many, many, many more problems. That's just my opinion. I do not think for one second that I'm going to be able to convince anybody to do or not do something with regards to these kinds of drugs. And that's not my goal either. But since I get asked about it a lot, I wanted to put it out there. So there you have it. Uh, Before I give away the GBX burn, let me also say, I have a ton of episodes on eating to optimize hormones, on eating to balance blood sugar, 
I've done trainings on this. I have courses on this. I have programs on this. There are resources out there. It's not like, well, I've tried everything else. Well, maybe what you haven't tried is consistency. And what you need is to build consistency. What you need is to become a better thinker to overcome your excuses. Do that work. Do that work. There aren't shortcuts. There's just not. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And in this case, I don't think this sounds too good to be true at all. <laughs> I don't like there's not any piece of this that I'm like, oh, that sounds like it's, you know, an attractive option. Nope. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Really doesn't sound like an attractive option at all. Make sure you register for my free training series, primalpotential.com forward slash free dash trainings, plural. It's also linked up in the show description uh, and on my Primal Potential Facebook page and in my Instagram bio. GBX Burn is going to a listener who left a review last week. Thank you very much. The name they used, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to spell it out because I don't have a clue. G-H-H-J-H-D-F-H-J-O-O-I-G-F-F-V-H. One more time. G-H-J-H-D-F-H-J-O-O-I-G-F-F-V-H. If that's you, hi. Email me, Elizabeth at primalpotential.com. Let me know that you were the winner in 1076. Include your mailing address. Make sure you email me within 60 days of this episode airing, and I will ship it out to you, and I'll link up GBX Burn in the show description. Have an amazing day, guys. I'll talk to you soon.